had this thought uh, probably yesterday or the day before when I was taking a shower. I feel like my shower time is when I have my best conversations with myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was thinking about how I spent some time single, not very much time, like not quite a year, because I had chosen not to date anymore. I thought, this is too hard. I don't enjoy dating. Maybe I'm not supposed to be in a relationship. And that thought made me really sad. Mm. But I was like, well, if it's never worked out before, maybe it's never going to. So I thought I was just never supposed to date again. And that time that I took to myself being single, I thought, well, this is just time I can work on my triggers, I can work on my healing and my shadow work and my inner child stuff and just prepare for a life alone. That made me sad. But then I realized like maybe it's not a matter of I'm never supposed to date again and never supposed to like give love or receive love or experience romance ever. Maybe the love that I have to give just shouldn't be made only available to cis men. And once I realized, like, oh, I can just not date cis men again, then that decision felt better. And then I was able to self-validate the attraction that I experienced with other people. Like, oh, I can, I can give myself permission to explore other avenues and not just cis men. And that felt a lot better. It felt, like, more hopeful. And the vision that I had for my future, like, maybe I could have that. Just It would just look different. Mm-hmm. But that time that I spent single... Looking back on that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing such deep self-work. I'm working on myself, so the next relationship I get into, I'm going to be so healed. <laughs> but like, ooh, was it really healing in the way I thought that it was? Or was it the fact that I was single and isolated and not being challenged in any way? And not being asked to show up in any particular way? Not being triggered? with relationship stuff. Yeah. I'm sure I did some work. I know I did some work, but there's some things that only ever come up in a relationship. Right. So it's like being with you now, it's almost like there's some things that feel like I'm sort of resetting a bone so it can actually heal properly in a way that, so it can function the way it's supposed to, you know? Yeah. Because we've had a moment not like I don't want to label it as anything like negative or bad or red flaggy or like a compatibility issue like I don't want to put like heavy weighty labels on it because what we're creating together doesn't deserve that at all we should give each other credit for the work that we've done as individuals before coming together but I feel like in past relationships this type of like uncomfy moment to navigate I would spiral and catastrophize and make it some kind of thing. Like, you have a problem or I have a problem or we don't work or something like that. But I don't think it's a matter of, like, a problem. I don't want to label the moment as a problem. It's just, like, I've been triggered. And I think part of healing relational traumas means putting one foot in front of the other in a new relationship and showing up differently and implementing the work that you've done and using the tools that you've learned. Yeah. And it's like it growth isn't always comfy and easy. Like contraction comes before expansion. Growth is 
There's a reason why they call them growing pains. Yeah. So I've been trying to move past this like moment where I want to be hard on myself. But it's like, no, I shouldn't do that to myself because what we've been building has been so good. And I don't want to bring old triggers and old wounds and old patterns into this. Like, that's the whole point of healing, is showing up differently. That was a long rant. Sorry. <laughs> but that was the conversation I had with myself. <laughs> I mean, I'm usually the one going on the long, the long thing. So I'm, I think you're allowed. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I... I think it's it's been interesting to navigate it. I feel like in past relationships, I mean, to go back to like my childhood, you know, I had had my family structure the way it was, and I I learned to just kind of try and guess what people wanted from me. And if I didn't get it right, then I was an idiot or whatever, you know. Because um, we could talk about the, we could talk a little bit about guess versus ask culture, you mm-hmm. know, like we've talked about before where, um, for any, you know, anyone who's listening who doesn't know what it is, uh, there's this idea of guess versus ask culture where in guess culture well in ask culture if you are you want something and you can't reach it <clears throat> you might just say like hey would you mind grabbing that for me whereas in guess culture it is kind of taboo almost to make a direct request because you are seen as putting the other person on the spot to say yes or no and if they have to say no then that's you know a bad thing right like and guest culture really conditions you to be um hyper aware of everything that's going on around you and if you're not neurotypical and you have problems picking up on social cues it can be especially scary to live in guest culture because you're just expected to be able to figure it out and if you can't figure it out then you're dumb or there's something wrong with you and you're not participating in the way that it's been established so in guest culture if you wanted something and it was too high up for you to reach and there were other people in the room who might be able to get it for you instead of just asking hey would you mind getting that you might say i can't reach it and then if someone else in the room feels willing to reach it for you then they'll offer Mm -hmm. so um and this is this has become something that i was aware of as an adult I wasn't really aware of it before and um, someone who's raised in guest culture or conditioned to guest culture will not make the request unless they're almost sure the answer will be yes. Mm. So some you might spot someone who's been conditioned to guest culture by um, they won't ask right away for a favor they might ask you know like hey how are you doing what's been going on you know like 
how are you feeling? What do you have going on today? You know, and ask a series of questions that you can probably tell is leading up to a request. Mm -hmm. So people a lot oftentimes who are raised in ask culture, like I've had friends who are raised in ask culture and they're like, just ask for what you want. And I'm like, I'm getting to it. You know, like I'm going to ask for what I want if I feel like the conditions are right. Mm. Because to me, if I call and I'm going to ask a favor and I just launch right into it, the underlying fear is that, oh, I am in the hospital with my mom. Like she just fell and we needed to go to the hospital. So I can't like pick you up today or whatever. And it's like, and maybe that is just what it is like the person who calls and asks the favor doesn't know and so maybe it's not like upsetting or offensive to the person who was asked to say like I can the presumption is that being put on the spot and having to say no is like the worst so there's not much room for the belief that the other person can just say no and it's not a big deal and it doesn't ruin their whole day to say no or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't think you're a terrible dickhead if you asked a favor and you weren't aware that it was a bad time for them. So all that to say, I was really conditioned to just like figure out what's wrong and how to fix it instead of just asking. And I think there is a certain amount, especially in like romantic relationships, and I think often between heterosexual couples, where there's this expectation that you are a mind reader mm. and that or that you should be able to tell what's wrong, what happened, how to fix it. And maybe the longer you're with a partner, if you have good communication and stuff like that, you will be able to catch on a lot quicker Mm -hmm. as to what might the issue be. But if you are struggling with being able to ask what's wrong and you just are like, I have to figure it out, you can... You can assume things that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. So that can cause further harm in the relationship if there's been some some kind of rupture, um, even a minor one. Like, the way that you come back from it can decide if the health of that relationship rebounds. Because even if you have, like, a minor thing, it, depending on how you both navigate it, it can become worse or it can it can get better, but... I have definitely become aware of my habit of just trying to figure out what's wrong Mm -hmm. versus just asking, like, did something happen? And so I'm, I'm trying to get better about that because I think not making assumptions and also letting yourself believe that the other person has the autonomy and whatever to be able to say no if they want to say no. Because mm-hmm. the other fear in guest culture is that someone will say yes when they really mean no. Mm. That's a big one. That's yeah. a big one. Because you don't want to put someone on the spot and you don't want them to say yes if they really mean no. Mm-hmm. And so you'll often see this in families that have poor boundaries, mm. you know, mm-hmm. or like codependents and they don't feel like they can say no if they mean it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of that to unlearn, I think. Do you feel like you were raised in ask culture? Because guess and ask people often end up in relationships together and this is how it can 
become yeah. a thing that you that comes up in like therapy and stuff? I I guess I could say I was raised in guess culture. I was raised in a home that was really volatile and kind of violent, and so asking a grown-up for anything always felt like a burden. You didn't know what kind of response you were going to get. Mm-hmm. Like, is mom stressed out Yeah, from dad and work and older sister? Is she going to flip out at me for having the audacity to ask anything of her right now? Yeah. Or is she going to be okay? You never knew what you were going to get. And I don't, like, fault my mom for that. She was going through it. But um, you didn't feel safe to ask right. to have a need met. So I did grow up feeling like I kind of had to manage the emotions of the adults around me. Mm-hmm. And my way of doing that was just sort of fading into the wallpaper and trying not to be noticed. Yeah. And then as an adult in relationships, that's manifested as me in the past trying to anticipate partners' needs, mm-hmm. trying to anticipate what they would want from me. Yeah. And then showing up in that way and hoping that it was enough, preferably more than enough, <laughs> versus just, like, asking. Yeah. And then also dating, like, a horribly emotionally unavailable people, which also, like, that doesn't help either. Because <laughs> then when you do ask, you don't get much anyway. You know what I think is interesting about emotional unavailable, emotionally unavailable people and the habit of dating them? Because... I had that habit too, is that you're also emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. And you don't think that because you're you're like, well, I'm here and they're not, you know, giving me. But if you keep picking people who are emotionally unavailable, it's because you are comfortable. And I'm not saying this with judgment. It's because, you know, you are comfortable with that dynamic because... Mm-hmm. You never have to do anything. Yeah, you can just always focus on them. You can always focus on them and what they're doing wrong and why they're not showing up that you're never called upon Mm -hmm. to actually show up yourself. When you like someone that doesn't like you back or, you know, you Mm -hmm. continually get crushes on people that don't feel the same way, it's the same thing where you're... You know, and it's not to say, like, it's really your fault, but it's, like, you have to kind of consider the fact that if you keep going for someone who's emotionally unavailable, that you yourself might be emotionally unavailable, or that you're afraid to be emotionally available because you haven't had to be. Mm -hmm. Because you pick people who are not. And so it's just easy to be like, well, all of the issues are because of them. And Mm -hmm. them not showing up. Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me at all. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, that makes things real easy. You know? In a way. Because it's quite simple. You're like, I like this person and they're not showing up. So that's, you know, how it is. But Mm -hmm. if you want... To be in an emotionally available relationship, you have to be willing to stay and address something when it comes up. I mean, obviously I'm not talking, well, maybe not obviously, but I'm not talking about abuse. Like, you should stay and figure it out. I'm talking about there was a misunderstanding. Someone said something a little off and you have to figure out what happened there. Like, I've had people just walk away 
and my ex-wife. She would just get up and walk away. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect in this scenario, but like if you just walk away, then it's kind of like, what now? Like, I get needing some space if you're upset and you need to, like, take some space and, like, take some time to, like, gather your thoughts so that you can come from a place that's what where you want to be coming from. Mm-hmm. But, like, she just would straight up walk away. And she told me stories about how her ex and her would get in a fight, you know, an argument, and she would just, like, get out of the car. Like, they would be downtown L.A. or whatever and arguing in the car, and she would just get out and there'd be like a median and I'm like but she always thought that he was the issue Mm. like 100% that he was the issue and I just that style doesn't is not conducive to like figuring things out it's Mm -hmm. not conducive it just escalates things Mm -hmm. because it's such a a dramatic exit that it does it all it does is escalate things. There's, it's, it's a rejection. It's a rejection and it's very abrupt. And dismissive. Yeah. And it's like, you know, unless the other person was calling you names or like punching the wall or, you know, doing something unsafe or abusive, like, I think walking away is a power move. Hmm. The same way that if you bring up something that you have an issue with and the other person like starts self-flagellation and you have to start comforting them instead Mm -hmm. of focusing on the issue, you know, I feel like it's a way to derail a conversation or an argument if you're having hopefully a respectful argument or disagreement. But if you want to figure stuff out, you kind of, it it does require being open. And I know that in past relationships, I've been, there have been points, even like in friendships, not just romantic relationships, where there was a point where I felt like I was annoying the other person. And that would kind of feel like the beginning of the end. Because I often would have like friend crushes you know like I would meet someone and we would like click and it would be like oh we're gonna hang out all the time you know Mm -hmm. very Mm dopamine-y ADHD or kind of friendship style you know where we're like all the time all or nothing Mm -hmm. and there have been several friendships where there came a point where I felt like I was annoying them and I couldn't figure out what to do to fix it. And I would throw different kind of things at it, you know, and see if anything stuck. But eventually I would just retreat and shrink myself and try and be the least complicated version of myself to just kind of be as acceptable as possible because I didn't want to lose that. So yeah, it's, it's hard. I've dated someone that would walk away from conversations, arguments, disagreements, just anything they didn't necessarily want to hear in that moment, they would walk away. And I'm, I don't consider myself a confrontational person. I'm, I'm not afraid to have a difficult conversation if it's necessary to get to a resolution. I'm willing to have it. I don't love to fight. I don't love to argue, but I can, I feel like I can engage respectfully even when it's hard even if my feelings are hurt I feel like I can initiate even when my feelings are hurt even when it's difficult and I haven't always been like that it took time and growth and therapy to be able to approach a partner when things are rough 
Mm -hmm. when I've been hurt. But with him, it was like no matter what I did, no matter how I approached something, no matter what words I used, no matter what tone I used, he would pick apart the approach, the tone, the words, the time of the day, what he had going on and how dare I do that because he had these other things going on in his mind that I didn't know about. It was always about the minutia around what I was actually talking about never what I was actually talking about and he'd always just walk away so we never really got to the issue of things and that lasted for like five years it was a long time of any conversation outside of how was your day oh <laughs> like asking how the day was and like not wanting to hear a single word of how the day was or what do you want to eat what's for dinner anything outside of that was it's always something with you god and like a whole storm out, walk away kind of thing. And I feel like a lot of, because all of my past relationships have been with cis dudes, they've all been straight relationships. I don't know if you experienced this in the queer dating scene, but the straight dating scene is like the emotional dark ages. And if you're a woman dating dudes, it's almost like you're socialized to accept that you're gonna do a lot of emotional labor you're going to try to share the most intimate parts of yourself with this other human and you're not going to get much back, if anything. And if you get any reciprocation of that labor and energy, he's it's gay. <laughs> that or, or it's going to be so minimal that trying to fight for more is just not going to be worth it. So you just accept the scraps and the breadcrumbs of emotional availability, if any. So being in this relationship where it's not like that and I haven't been in a relationship like this, I could only do so much healing of relational traumas as a single person. Mm -hmm. Like some things are only ever going to be triggered and brought to the surface for healing in some kind of relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's been... It's been a thing. I mean, I anticipate that things will continue to come up in our relationship as we deal with stuff that we're both carrying. And hopefully we'll be able to provide that safe space to help each other out in those moments because maybe sometimes it is something that is an issue between us and sometimes it'll be old stuff that just comes up bites us in the ass and affects what we've got going on and my hope is that we will continue to be able to talk about it and stuff i i've had straight friends who are like you talk more in a month like than i have talked in a whole year with Mm -hmm. my boyfriend or whatever and i'm like i mean if, if you like it that way great but when you are AFAB and you were conditioned and raised to believe that you're going to get very minimal emotional effort from someone else when you're in a relationship with another AFAB person like you're talking all the time Mm -hmm. you're like oh my gosh we can actually like process and the other person is hopefully not going to be like "Mm." that's not to say every AFAB person is comfortable with emotions and processing and stuff but There's so much processing that happens in AFAB queer relationships because there's not that stigma Mm -hmm. of, like, being connected to your emotions. Because, you know, to go back to previous podcasts, like, the masculinity thing, there are so many different things that guys think takes 
their masculinity away. Mm-hmm. And one of those is being emotionally available or in tune with their feelings and talking about them. Like, that makes me gay. I'm like, no. Also, I feel like a lot of men just don't like women. So they don't want to really dive below the surface in, like, emotionality and Were they conditioned issues. to like women? Men in general? No. I don't think so. No. I think some men can't help but to be attracted to women, but they get their emotional fulfillment from other men in platonic ways. But, like, if they had the choice between hanging out and doing something fun that wasn't sex-related with a woman and hanging out with their dude bros, they probably choose their dude bros over and over and over again. Yeah. Well... I mean, we, one of the interesting things that I can speak to as a trans mask who has been on T uh, since 2015 is I've been able to kind of notice the way my emotions and my emotional reactions to things have, has changed. Um, I wasn't like a super crier before, but I could cry pretty easily like if I was feeling overwhelmed I could have a little release cry you Mm -hmm. know little maintenance (laughs) boohoo um but after being on tea it is so hard to cry like Mm -hmm. and if I do I get like two tears and then it's like okay well that's all I'm gonna get and I have to like try and milk it you know (laughs) to get the same level of because I used to do it for like the catharsis you Mm -hmm. know like crying is a release I wouldn't cry for like other reasons like I want the attention or whatever um I would cry because it would help with like pent-up emotions and Mm -hmm. stuff so it was a means of release and after being on tea I don't feel like I can access that as a means of release at least not without great effort. Like, I have to really work for it to get a cry. Like, watching something about dying children or, you know, mm. like, because I have a dead baby. I will... I That can trigger me sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. It happened a long time ago, so it feels kind of like it happened to a different person, but sometimes, you know... Just the right time and place, it can really, can really hit me. Do you want to talk about that? Um, I mean, maybe another time. My point being is just kind of like, I can't really access crying as a release that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Not predictably. And I have found that one of the releases that I do feel is available to me is sex. Like, I found that because crying wasn't as much of a release, I was finding, I was having to find the release in other ways. And sex was one of them. And I was like, well, fuck. (laughs) You know, like, I can see how these things happen in a way, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, if you are, boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. Don't cry. Be a man. Mm -hmm. What are your release options? You know, that's not to say crying is the only one or sex, but like you have to find other sources of release. 
um, if that one isn't acceptable. So, or unavailable to you if Mm -hmm. you're on tea or you have tea and naturally and you can't cry that easily. Like, I think it maybe comes off as like you're not emotional or whatever. But, man, when... Have you... Have you ever seen a cis straight man, like, really cry? A couple times. It is... When you know how they have been raised, if they have been raised not to cry, like, you can see just how devastating something has to be in order for that, like, to break open. Mm -hmm. And I saw that with my husband at the time when I lost my, our baby, you know, we, we cried together a few times, but, you know, I only saw him break like that a few times. And it was always really like profound when Mm -hmm. it happened because he wasn't conditioned to cry. He was conditioned to keep it very stoic. And so he has Crohn's and his stress goes right to his system Mm -hmm. and gives him like ulcers. And he has a really hard time, you know, with Mm -hmm. stress and crying isn't really one of his options. So, um, Unless under great duress, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's been interesting to realize, like, I need to find other means of release. And I think that's part of how the gym became something that I took to um, eventually and found, like, that habit of going. It really helps. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that is one of my, when I wasn't having sex, because I didn't have sex like the last maybe six months of my marriage. Well, it was, we had separate bedrooms. Um, It was time for things to be over. Did that separate bedroom thing happen before you decided to divorce or after? Before. Wow. So when we were together... My older kid didn't like her. At first, they got along really, really great. Mm -hmm. If it had been right from the start, I don't think we would have continued our relationship. Like, let me be clear. Um, In the beginning, they got along really well. And I was happy because I felt some guilt around not being more feminine. And my older kid at the time was very feminine. And... I, you know, and so having a femme wife felt, and girlfriend, you know, at the time, like, felt like, okay, maybe that's something they can connect on. And they did for a minute, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And then things got really hard, and it was, it was difficult. Um, And they moved out to go live with their dad, and they were really angry with me and my ex-wife. And that was the second time that I asked for a divorce and we moved into separate bedrooms. Um, And it took me three, three times asking for a divorce for it to... Was it like you asked and they then were prompted to work on things or you asked... And they dismissed, they rejected the idea of divorcing. So the first time I asked was, <clears throat> so we got married at the end of May and we moved um, and to be closer to my family. And she 
had been struggling before we even got married. And I remember questioning if I should even go through with the marriage because things had been rough already. But I kind of felt like I was too in it, especially because I had kids that loved her. Mm. And, you know, I had divorced their dad. And so I felt bad taking another, like, if we were to separate, I felt bad taking her away from them. But by the time we moved up to be near my family, uh, she was having a lot of breakdowns and she was going through a lot of health stuff. And I felt like I was in an emotionally abusive situation. Um, But I felt like, well, she's, one of her things was, you know, chronic pain. And it's really hard to be kind you know Mm -hmm. when your body hurts all the time yeah yeah and so I made a lot of excuses for it and I just tried to make the best of it but I ended up taking care of her more than I was able to take care of my kids and so um we made the decision that she should go stay with her mom for a little while and you know because she was really sick and I couldn't help her as much as she needed Mm. and I was having a hard time taking care of the kids because she was struggling so much. And they Um, were little. They were relatively young, yeah. So she went to stay with her mom. Let's see, we married at the end of July, or at the end of May, and she left at the end of August and was there until February. Oh, my God. And we, I, like, halfway through, I think, somewhere... Or maybe in, like, November or something, I told her I thought we should break up. And she was like, we're married. I'm your wife. We don't break up. We get a divorce, you know? And then, like, by the end of the conversation, I kind of felt like she had talked me out of it a little bit. Well, that's the tone of convincing someone to stay married. We don't do this. We We, do this. It's... It's hard to explain, like, where my brain was at, right? Because it's easy to look back at, like, saying stuff like that and be like, what the fuck? Like, why? But I was in it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, she's in pain. And another thing was, she would tell me I was the love of her life. She would, you know, she believed that this was, like, lifetimes in the making. And I was like... She would say, like, if this, you know, if breaking up is the right thing to do, then, like, why do I, why does it feel so wrong, you know, and my body and stuff like that would tug at me, Mm -hmm. you know, and make me doubt myself because I have a lot of self-doubt around. I really felt like this was supposed to be my, uh, maybe this was my adult, quote unquote, relationship where I learn how to grow up and be a good partner to a complicated situation. Mm. But it just got to a point where, you know, I, so I asked her, or I said, I think we should. And she disagreed very heartily. And so I felt like maybe I was wrong. And then the second time 
was after my older kid moved out when they were no longer getting along. And this was during the pandemic. I knew it was going to come to a head when Mm -hmm. they were no longer like going to school. And it was just like all of us cooped up all day, every day. It was so, and they, and they were like, I want to move in with my dad. And so that happened. And, you know, we went back and forth about what happened and all this stuff. And there was an insinuation that she was the issue or the main issue and so like that's when we decided to separate our bedrooms because we were like we should probably separate and I got so close but I I told them I told the kids that we were getting a divorce and then I overheard uh, on the phone with his dad saying, well, you know, something really sad happened today. Mm. And he sounded so devastated that I was like, should I try again? Like, should I be trying harder? Because he had had so much change in his life, his little tiny life. He was only in second grade at this point. And we had been together for about three years. So, you know, this was someone who had a big chunk of his life in his heart. And so I was like, maybe we will give it the summer and figure out at the end of the summer what we're doing. And we went to therapy. We ended up doing couples therapy like twice a week and I was doing therapy twice a week myself so I was in therapy four days a week almost a full-time job four fucking hours a week of therapy that's so much emotional stuff every day it's too much like you need time if only just to come up with more shit to say Mm -hmm. good god yeah But sleeping in separate bedrooms wasn't terrible because I snored and she was a really light sleeper and I was getting up with the kids early to get them ready for school and, you know, going to bed like late because I (laughs) have trouble sleeping. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for sleep reasons... And also kind of having your own little space, like, especially if one of you is messy and the other one isn't, you know, like that can be nice. And I don't think that that has to mean anything bad about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that can be perfectly normal. I think there are a lot of people who think, oh, that's bad. But like, what if someone works nights, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, it makes so much more sense not to be disturbing each other's sleep. Mm-hmm. It's so important, especially if you have kids or a serious job that you need to have focus for. Like sleep is such an important thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to do it comfortably with with your partner or whatever, like I don't think it means anything about the state of your relationship right? to like do what you need to do mm-hmm. for your sleep. That's just that was a lot. The third time that I asked was the last time. And I had to just state it. How did that go? Well, I got the courage and I said, I think I need to be done. Because even then I couldn't say (laughs) I need to be done. But I said it. She didn't hear me. Oh, no. You mumbled it. 
I from a different room. Well, we were in <laughs> no, we were in a quiet moment, and we had been talking, and I got up the courage to say it, and then she didn't hear me, and I couldn't repeat myself. So it went on for like another couple weeks or whatever before oh, no. I was able to finally like say it again, and it was really it was hard. But by the time I said it, I just felt like I had to. You know? Yeah. Because, like, Valentine's Day was coming up, and I couldn't think of a single heartfelt thing to write in her card. Mm -hmm. She has good qualities, you know? I can say, you know, she's loyal, she's intelligent, she's caring, she really, you know, goes to bat for people who need, you know, people in their corner. But that's just facts, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I couldn't really get schmoopy. I didn't have the schmoop. Mm-hmm. So technically it was four times over the course of... We got together in 2015. We got married in 2018. And we got divorced in... Are we... Whoa. Uh-huh. Whoa. <laughs> the legal part the is tears. not... The gag is. Yeah, that's still in process. Uh, but that has. I help them print out a snack of paper so she's yeah. sitting right over here. God, I feel like <laughs> such a, like, ugh. Anyway, executive functioning. Functioning. It's just like, <laughs> fuck, not happening. Fuck, all is happening. Anyway. Uh, so, four, three, three and a half attempts over the course of like a couple years, a few years. Yeah, we separated in 2020. Is it another dick? <sighs> no. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is not another dick. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel about ever getting married again? And what would you do differently, if ever? Um. Okay, I feel like kind of embarrassed about the idea of getting married again just like as like a social like hey guys here we go again like Ross from Friends (laughs) yeah uh but like emotionally I would do it again I'm open to it uh I don't one thing that I would do differently is like I always rushed things you know like I I always and I think maybe we've talked about I mean we've talked about this before I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast but about like wanting to get to that point of like feeling secure mm-hmm. you know so wanting to get to the point where you just kind of like rush to like okay now we're in a relationship you know so like I did that with all of my serious relationships I was like okay we're dating now we're engaged now we're married and it was really fast you hauling you hauling even when I was straight because I, I met my husband online um, while I was living in another state. And when I moved back home, we went on a date at the end of December. And we were pregnant and engaged by the end of March. Shut up. On purpose. Pregnant on purpose. Oh my god, really? Because... We were on the same page, like, so much. It was just, like, we both wanted this many kids. We had very similar views on how we wanted to raise them. We had very similar, like, core values. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's a reflection of whoever he's dipping his dick into, Mm. to put it nicely. But the bottom line is, 
Like, I thought, hey, this is it. And we were two peas in a pod. He was my best friend. We were together for almost seven years until I figured out I was gay. And then that's when I started to see the guy, you know, the the man behind the mask. And I did not like him that much anymore. Because mm. he believed in things like nagging. Mm. Yeah. He created like an algorithm for... Okay, Cupid. that would turn it into like Tinder basically where he could just swipe yes or no on whether or not he'd bone someone and from there it would send them like a, a, a question chosen at random from a list of questions that he you know put in and so it would automatically send that and then and then if they responded he would then respond personally I'm a fucking nerd because it's a numbers game. Yeah, it is. A lot of guys see it like that. I mean, queer dating is not much different. Like, women ghost all the time. It's real, but... It's a real nightmare. <laughs> I feel like something after, like, the pan... Dating after the pandemic, even though the pandemic is still going, mm-hmm. I mean, but, like, post the beginning of the pandemic, you know, like, I did not offer to meet up with as many people as I would have, you know, like when I was younger and single, Mm -hmm. like pre-pandemic, I would, I would have been like, Hey, want to go to dinner? You know, let's go like hang out. Like I would, I would probably have initiated more dates with people, Mm -hmm. but I was very selective about even wanting to like a profile on OkCupid. Like I was really selective and I, and I had I had people who liked me, but I hemmed and hawed and I hemmed and hawed about like everyone because I was just like, I don't, is it, is it worth it? Like it felt like things had to be a lot more worth it mm-hmm. to get to the point of like going out. I don't really know why, but maybe just like things just feel more serious now, you know, like you yeah. have to really want it to like put the effort in to date post-pandemic because everybody is in a totally different mindset. Perspectives have shifted. Things are just heavier now. Like, you have to look at this person and be like, what if we died tomorrow because shit's real? Like, is this who I want to spend my time with? Mm. Like, it's not as easy to just be, like, casual, like... Right. You're cute. Like, maybe like I'll who, have, like, a make-out buddy for a while. Who can I shelter in place with for the next <laughs> month if I have to? Like, what if we have to survive the fall of capitalism together? Like, how's that going to work, you know? Yeah. And, and just, like, politically and vaccination status, being anti-vax. I am very, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-vax. I have always been. I I understand why there are certain populations who aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get that. You know, the government, especially like with African Americans, and was it the Tus- was it Tuskegee? Mm-hmm. Is that the? I get some of them mixed up sometimes, and then I'm like, but yeah, I I get why there's you know some barriers to feeling comfortable getting the vaccine and I also know there's a lot of misinformation out there but um you know everything's just really 
politicized. It's very intense. And I am pretty particular. Like, I don't... Mm-hmm. I, I can't really be like, we can agree to disagree. No. I just am no. not that person. Absolutely not. I'm not that person. And so I would just, I would, it was easy to weed people out just by like what they would say about the pandemic or, you know, if they had like a thin blue line flag somewhere in their profile or whatever, it was like, "Mm, skip. Like on Bumble, you could list your like political affiliations or whatever. And anytime I saw someone that said moderate, mm, mm, how can you be moderate at a time like this? At a time like this, how can you be moderate? I used to have mine as liberal and then because that felt like that felt like the thing. That felt like the closest to describing like my politics. But now it's such a wishy-washy label. I think, I think mine said anarchist for a while. 